I need the help of Fancy Nancy and Eminem. If you can, can you help Eminem? You girls, you girls are a team. You haven't been on the field together for a while. Particularly, make sure you can run your roots just right. Oh, see, it was almost, it was almost a glitch right there. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to learn some things today. That's always uh, an exciting prospect for me. Um, uh, yesterday afternoon, I started to just do some random studying, which, uh, which I like to do when the Spirit lets me know, okay, I just need you to be before me and just Put your sail into the wind and let me show you some things. So that was kind of an exciting thing. And what he started to talk to me about was his, um, his eyes. And uh, I know that we have studied about the, uh, the eyes of the Lord, and we've studied about the, um, the word we're going to look at today, and it does very clearly connect with, the pat with, uh, with Palm Sunday. But... Um, the beautiful thing about the Word of the Lord, the beautiful thing about God, is that we're always going to be learning something new. Um, the foundation that He has laid for us is true, but that foundation, since it's His Word, is alive, and it will continue to grow, we'll continue to learn, and we'll never, ever get to the point where we know everything we need, everything that can possibly be known about God. There's always more that he wants to show, and his word is always growing and developing in us. And the thing that I, again, always uh, rejoice in is that when God begins to show us something new in his word, so far, <laughs> there's never been any contradiction. I mean, there's never been anything where say, well, you know, I want to show you something, but you really screwed it up over here and you messed it up. God is so faithful, His Spirit is so faithful, and only He could do this to bring fresh truth, fresh understanding for things that um, we went out on a limb in our study to believe up to this point. And so I'm grateful, very grateful for that. Now, I will say one other thing that's kind of funny. Um, I, when, I, when I decided to, to, to cease studying, um, in the late afternoon, uh, I firmly felt that this was going to be, this, this study was going to be for Wednesday Night Live. And um, so I went to bed, and, uh, and I guess Debbie came to bed at about 2 o'clock, and uh, I woke up when she came in, and I started hearing the voice of the Lord saying, you need to speak on that this topic this morning. And I, I thought, oh, okay, Lord. And then I started thinking all kinds of different thoughts about how this applied, and the Spirit was just blowing. And at about 3 o'clock, I thought, well, I might as well just go ahead and get up and, and go up and work on this some more. So uh, my eyes are kind of closing. It's almost like one of those European flights. You know, you get in, and then everybody sees you, and they think, oh, hey, look, you're here, and you've got about two hours of sleep. And uh, you have to pretend like you're just bright and bushy-tailed. 
Well, if I fall asleep during the message, one of you let me know, okay? So um, I want us to look at this this, uh, two-verse passage from Luke 19 regarding Palm Sunday. And verses 41 and 42 say this, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it saying, If you had known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto your peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. And um, as I was looking at this, the, the, the things that stood out were the fact that he beheld, and this was an intent observation, and that, that the Lord wept. Now, if you study in the Scripture, you'll find that the New Testament records the fact that Jesus cried three times. One was, of course, when Lazarus was in the tomb, and there he uses a term for weeping that simply means to have tears coming out of your eyes. And it, that, the derivation of that term is only used there. Now, the second time is a a playoff of that word, and the writer to the Hebrews says that Christ, in Hebrews 5, 7, the Lord, at some point, we don't know when, it's not recorded in Scripture, and you might extrapolate that into the Gethsemane, but it doesn't say he wept there. It says that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, and he was in anguish. But there, in in Hebrews 5, 7, it says that he cried, he wept, he cried out in, in strong, Iscarus type of prayer. And that um, the, he was doing that in the function of the order of Melchizedek. Now, if we know about Iscarus, if we remember what those power words are, we recognize that that is the direct empowerment from the throne. The throne, the Kratos power, and then the Iscarus power that speaks of boundaries in the spirit realm, boundaries on earth, and it speaks about gaining, as it were, an apostolic commission to go forth and break through into new territory. So that kind of prayer happened. Now, when it happened, we don't really know. We can assume that perhaps the Lord was praying that way when he went to the high places by himself. We don't have any record of him doing that in public. And you can look that up for yourself, but we don't have record of that. The third time he prayed was right here. And here he used a different word. This is the word that was used in a, of a public type of a mourning or crying aloud. And this was used several times in the New Testament. And it usually was on behalf of some type of bereavement or some type of um, missed opportunity or some type of loss. And so the Lord openly, audibly, wept as he beheld Jerusalem. So what did he weep about? He wept, first of all, because these folks in that city um, were not entering into the things that had been hidden and that, um, that they then did not participate in a partnership with God that brought peace. It's just what these two words say. And that's very important to God, you know? 
That's very important to God, that people don't partner with him to see the things that he has hidden, that he wants to reveal in partnership with them so that they can go forth in power and gain the victory of peace. That is extremely important to God. But he, he openly mourns that. Now, some people think Jesus wept because he was somewhat uh, stirred about the sacrifice he was going to have to offer. And, of course, that was not a pretty thing. It was going to be a horrific sacrifice that Jesus gave. But this scripture says that he wept because Jerusalem did not pursue a partnership with God to discover the hidden things, and therefore they did not really cooperate in the peace of God, that conquest that he ordained for them to know. Very clear right there. Now, there, is another, there are parallel passages that speaks about how that he says, I sent prophets to you, but you, you rejected them, you murdered them, some of them you crucify. And um, so the prophet's job was to assist in directing the people toward what God was wanting to reveal. But this whole thing about um, Jesus beholding the city and then weeping in this way regarding what God wants to reveal that he wants you to take a step of faith into so that you can discover through him the things that he has ordained to be um, not lo no longer hidden and that they are crypto things and their eyes he beheld but their eyes weren't seeing. So I began to really search this out uh, as many of you would do uh, and I, I was looking for the places where weeping and seeing were combined and there um, as I said, the two main types of weeping in the New Testament were kleo, which is what he did here in Luke 19, to mourn and lament openly. The other one is decreo, which is to shed a tear, and it was only in uh, John 11:35. Tammy and I's famous, uh, most favorite verse for um, memorizing Scripture. I mean, that's, that's the one you want. Jesus wept. That was the one we always bid for to see who we get that verse. Um, or Tammy probably took something from Psalm 119, but I always went after this one. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, but in the Old Testament, weeping was most associated with that word that has been studied here many times. I told you this was going to be a line upon line upon line upon line upon line upon type of revelation. So I'm going to talk about a lot of things that have been written and taught in the past. But vaca is that type of weeping. And it was in conjunction with the balsam or the mulberry tree. And there were five main usages of this word, how it was used in the Old Testament, either for joy, for distress, for lament, for pleading or complaint, or for repentance. So, I mentioned that we've studied about this in the past, but let's look at that famous verse uh, from Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca, and this is that balsam or mulberry tree, they make it a well 
Well there is the word for eyes and um, the, the collection of water. The rain also fills, fills the pools, and they go from strength to strength. Every, them, every one of them in Zion appears before God. Stick with me here because this really is important about Palm Sunday. Um, we see a progression here in the Valley of Baca. Now, if you were to look at this further, you'd find that some of the Bible scholars try to figure out where this is in the, in the historical record. And the clearest one of all was when David, in 2 Kings 5.23, remember the, the enemy came, and in the valley of Rephaim, uh, Israel wiped them out, and then those enemy forces regrouped and were going to come back again because all their idols were in that valley. Rephaim really represented the place of the giants or the place where people tapped into the spirit realm and uh, went from the visible into the spiritual, hopefully to bring back the spiritual. The, the enemy forces um, in, amongst the ites seemed to know how to do that. Um, Israel was a little slow catching on, but David for that second time was waiting, and God says, all right, you've just whipped them down there, but I don't want you to go down there the same way. We've studied this before. I want you to, wait. I want you to circle them. And I want you to hide over here by the mulberry trees or this, this type of tree. And this tree was famous for weeping. And it, 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 it would weep during the times of drought or duress, which I think is very interesting. But um, they waited there, and, and God said, when you hear a stirring in the tops of these weeping trees, then you stir yourself and you go forth. And they did, and they wiped out the enemy. And that, that was a very interesting thing as well, because, um, because God, as we've studied in the past, I mean, it's like playing a doubleheader in baseball. If you absolutely wipe the team out in a run rule game in the first game, you're not really that troubled about going for the second game of that doubleheader against that same team, because you know we, are, we outclass them in every way. But God said, don't you trust what you've just done. You go over here, you wait under this tree of weeping, and you wait till you feel me stir, and then you go. You compass them. You fetch a compass. You watch out around, circumspect, and then you go when I say go. So that is that connection between weeping, the pool of water, and which would be tears, and um, the seeing of the eye, is so very important. Now, here's, here is, um, here's another reference of that. In Joel 2, verses 17 and 18, let the priests, the ministers of Yahweh, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and give not your heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Now, here you have this, this weeping, and you have uh, the priest doing this between the porch and the altar, which, which speaks about the porch represents entering in in the physical, but when you get to the altar, 
you're entering into a spiritual covenant. So you're weeping in between those things. So there's a connection there, which brings us to what I really felt the Spirit was wanting us to share today, and it's about I-in. It's about the I in the Old Testament. Um, and, and how that, uh, I believe this speaks to why Jesus stood there. It doesn't say how long he stood there, but he, he stood there and he beheld. And he had to be there for a little while at least because he's mourning and he's, he's weeping out loud. And you don't, if you're doing that, you don't just do that for 10 seconds. I mean, if you're doing that for 10 seconds, you ain't doing it right. And so there was a significant amount of time where he was beholding this. Now, I in the I is actually a letter in the Hebrew al alphabet, and it's the 16th uh, letter. But it also symbolizes a number. It symbolizes the number 70. I think that is, that is really a fascinating thing. There's another thing about this, this word, and, if it, and this is where I spent a lot of time studying yesterday, and I, don't, I, I know that the Spirit didn't really direct me to do this kind of in-depth study until this point, so I think there's a, there's a reason for this. That numerical value of the letter 70, particularly the I, is um, was used in the temple because every year during the Feast of the Tabernacles, the priests would bring um, 70 sacrifices in order to sacrifice before the Lord on behalf of the 70 known nations in the world at that time. And in doing that, they would declare from that temple God's promise about them going forth from that temple to spread the kingdom and to take dominion. Whether they did it or not was a different thing. Uh, how many of you know a lot of times things are said in church or spoken in church that the people have no intention to do, even though they may have sung about it and said amen 15 times about it? Um, but at least they, they proclaimed this word, which I think is interesting because remember at the dedication of this temple, God said, my eyes will be upon this temple. And, and so, but, but it, it goes further then. Um, when, you, when you look at this term, ayin, and the derivations of it in the Old Testament, it always signifies some type of a separation where it's either a separation from where you are now to where you're going or what you know now to what you don't know, or what you see in the way of good and what you see in the way of evil, which is why God's eyes are always beholding the Tobin and Ra, because with the eyes of God, there is always some kind of a separation. There's always some kind of a, a distinguishing. There's always some type of um, uh, an interval or a space between. And um, so the essence, though, is that you're seeing those things and clearly seeing them. Um, you, you then have to become precise by oh, that, that measure of separation, which then, again, 
Remember we studied recently about Issachar again. And Issachar was the one who had an understanding of the times. Understanding is this is is the derivation is from the eye. And that Issachar would be as a strong ass between two burdens. What are those two burdens? The separation of what God is trying to show to his mature ones, to those ones that would be able to discern, which probably is why God was choosing the 70. Remember, there was the 70 in the Old Testament. Jesus began, after he had the 12, he chose 70, and he sent them out. Basically, he was sending out the I. He was sending out people who were mature, which the root Ben being sons, being the mature ones, it all has to do with the eye, whether you're partnering with the ways of God and whether you're being able to clearly discern between the Tob and Ra, but for our purposes, whether you're able to discern between where you are right now, where God has brought you, and looking into the uncertainty of his path of faith. That is a big one. In fact, when you, you, you look, I, I wrote about some, uh, some derivations here. Um, one of the derivations of this was what you did when you greeted someone in authority or you greeted some, an angel or most often when you were encountering God. So you are here and then an authority figure or an angel or the Lord would come. And that separation point between where you are and a dignitary um, had to do with the eye. And I think that's very interesting. And you think about it. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, you know, let your kingdom come and your will be done on, heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. There was that separation and the reaching into things that were beyond, that perhaps were uncomfortable. But yet, to really partner with the eyes of God, you've got to be willing to step into the unknown that God would lead you into. And uh, in, in the Aramaic, which was basically used twice, both in Daniel, this, this Aramaic term spoke about the position in the middle of the teeth or uh, a position between the ten horns of one of the creatures that Daniel was seeing. But it used the eye, and it used that being able to distinguish in the midst. But basically, it was some kind of, of uh, understanding that where you are right now, and either what you're seeing, you're going to have to discern through the eyes of the Lord what is tob, what is raw. You're going to have to discern where you are, and where you need to be going. Now, the challenge in life is the natural mind wants you to be content with where you are and to just stay there and not press forth into the new. But the eyes of the Lord, which are as fire, are wanting to lead you into the next phase of judgment and burning in His Spirit. And it is a constant battle for us as humans and as saints because the world and the enemy and maybe even our own understandings in the natural want us to stay in a point of security. 
and uh, you know we we want to draw back instead of pressing forward when God says to go. I mean, it seems like we fail as humans in that in one of two ways: either we refuse to go forward, or we get ants in our pants and we say, "I'm going to go forward anyway." And how often in the Old Testament did kings who had prophetic words not wait on the timing of the Lord get ahead of God and that? not only caused them to die, but ruined the promise of God for the people. So this idea of partnering with the eyes of God, being as an Issachar individual, being as a son, being as someone who understands the times, being as someone who is willing to go when God says go, being as someone who is willing to be at the valley where the spirit realm is broken into, and to wait for the weeping and wait to see when God says go is really the essence of who God is. And it's the essence of partnering with the eyes of God, and it's what really marks the tribe of Issachar and definitely marks the 70, because the 70 is literally the eyes. I think that's really fascinating. That, that, just, that is just amazing. And I, I read this quote recently, and I think it really has merit. Uh, the greatest barrier to discovery is not ignorance, but the motionless illusion of our current knowledge. And I would ask then, are we a temple and a tabernacle? Um, so often, we get to the point where we think we, with all of the pneumaticos understandings, and it's not just us, it's, it's everywhere, um, you, you think, well, you know, we pretty much know what we have to, to, to really thrive, and so we're just going to rest on that. And we're not going to press into the new, because if we press into the new, it's going to upset everybody. If we press into the new when God says go, there are going to be a lot of people who are liking where they are, and they're not going to want to go there. And we face that, we've crossed that Rubicon several times. And I think that when we talk about breakthrough, which we have, when we prophesied that, when we know we're facing a really challenging time when we're entering into these times of the end, because it's uncertain. There's a lot of things that make you uh, really trepidatious. Some of you are facing things in your life right now, and you, 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 the, the future seems uncertain in a lot of ways. But that's the beauty of the eyes of the Lord because they are always viewing things from where we are right now to where we're going. They're always viewing things that seem uncertain. That's what makes the walk of faith so exhilarating. But the eyes of God, the ways of God, are always in a measure of separation. God is not divided, but they're they're, they're separate. They're either separating the enemy's lies from the truth. They're either separating the darkness from the light. They're either separating where you are right now from where God wants you to go. They're separating God's plan of what he's done yesterday, what he's doing today, and what he's forever aiming toward. And that is the essence of the eyes. And, and I, I think that is, that is terrific. And we've said this so many times in various ways, that when, um, when God wants to do a new thing, um, 
there is going to be resistance to it. You find the new thing that God is saying undeniably, and you're shocked that there are those that don't want to go forward into it. And it's troubling, but then you realize this is what being a son of the Most High is. This is what partnering with the ways of God is, because there will always be that uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, th there will always be Tob versus Ra. The eyes of the Lord just do that. It's not like they find some anomaly and, oh, look at that. How can there be evil? What's that evil doing here? Get it out of here. You know, God's eyes see that. But God is always triumphing in some way. God is always taking you from challenge to an overcoming. That's the eyes of the Lord. And that's why I'm so grateful that in the book of Daniel, this really odd Aramaic derivation speaks directly about the enemy's plans and how God is right there. I just think that's, that's interesting, very interesting. One of my favorite songs that Kevin Prosh sings is based out of this uh, Job 28 passage. It's, it's pretty, uh, a pretty lengthy passage, but I, I think we should look at it because it's all about what we've been talking about. Um, there is a path which no fowl knows, which the vulture's eye, and that vulture is really the, the, um, the raptor. Not the, the, the raptor's eye has not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. He puts forth his hand upon the rock. He overturns the mountains by the roots. He cuts out rivers among the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He binds the floods from overflowing, and the thing that is hid brings he forth to light. So what all you're talking about here in this first part is that there's a whole lot more that God wants to lead you into that has not been seen. It's still hidden, but God's eyes are there. Where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding, or the eyes that separate? what is known from what is yet to be known. Man knows not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The deep, and what these next things say is that there's no earthly price, there's no discovery man's going to make, there's, uh, there's nothing that can be bought by your opulence. This is, this is solely through partnership with God's eyes. Um, Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The deep, the depth says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Whence then comes wisdom? And remember what we've studied about wisdom. Wisdom is taking under the direction of the, God, the Lord that we love, in partnership with Him, the light into the designated place of darkness that God has ordained to be overcome. And where is the place of understanding? How does the eyes of God 
in you as an Issachar individual, as a 70 individual, how do you discern through his eyes? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air who have the most precise vision of, I think, just about any creature on earth. Destruction and death says, we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understands, there's the word again, the way thereof, and he knows the place thereof. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees, ra'ah, under the whole heaven, to make the weight for the winds, and, and he weigheth the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then did he see it and declare it, he prepared it, yea, and searched it out. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the, of the plan of God, that is wisdom. And to depart from Ra, to put that aside, to drive it away, is understanding. There's the eyes again. The whole concept of this is that there are things that God wants us to partner with him in his eyes, in his ways, that will separate the wicked from the good, will separate the tobe from the raw, will separate the light from the darkness. And it's good to know, since we're coming into a time where darkness is upon the earth and gross darkness the people, but his light will shine on us. The whole aspect the underlying aspect of the eyes of God in Scripture is to separate where God is wanting you to go from where you are, to separate what has gone wrong to what God wants to restore. There's always a separation in this. So you cannot partner with the eyes of God biblically unless you are in line with what His ways are wanting to do to bring something new, to demonstrate something that has not been known through the spirit of truth guiding us into things that have been hidden. This is the preeminent identity of the eyes of God. And it is everywhere. It is what Issachar is. It's what the 70 should be. I'm so grateful for this understanding. I don't know why, I, I, other than the fact that I just don't go searching for stuff. The spirit waited till now to talk about how the eye is, is the 70. I'm grateful for what he's shown us over the past year about the 30, the 60, and the 100. And, and now the 70 is the I. I just think that is so interesting. And it's, it's empowering for us because it's an identity for us. And it shows us about what God is wanting us to develop uh, as we go forth into the land and look for people who will partner with the eyes of God. Now, I think it's also interesting that... Um, uh, I, as, as I was finishing study yesterday, I thought of a story, and I don't even remember where. Oh, I remember where I read it. This, this kind of a joke, this Turkish proverb. Um, and I'll tell you where I read it. <laughs> but there's this proverb about this guy who sees his neighbor out on his hands and knees looking around in the yard or, or the, the terrain outside his house. And the neighbor comes up and says, what are you looking for? And the guy says, um, well, I've lost my keys. So the neighbor gets down. He's looking with the guy all around the outside of the house. And um, 
So the neighbor, after I don't know how long, says to the guy, well, where were you when you lost these? And he says, well, I was in the house. And he said, well, why aren't you looking for it in there? And he says, well, the light's much better out here. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. But you know where I read this? When I was doing all that study under the covering of the blood of Jesus of the progressive movement, and they used that story to try to tell people that you need to break out from where you, where, where you have been called into other doctrines and into other revelations of God because the light is much better out there. They use that almost like it's a verse from the Holy Throne. But the issue is just what you and I have seen from this story. It doesn't matter what kind of light. And the Bible says that the enemy will come and his ministers will be as angels of light, deceiving the very elect. It doesn't matter what kind of light you find outside. You won't find your keys out there. Because God has them in the place that he has ordained for you to discover. And it may be dark in there right then, but that is what the eyes of God specialize in. You wait on the Lord, and he will reveal what is hidden. You go outside the place, not only won't you find what God has ordained, but you'll be out there with false light, finding all kinds of things that will lead you to hell. And I think it's interesting, too, that as we were emerging into this most recent pathway that we're all on, the transitional time, that idea is the very thing that the enemy launched in the progressive church, that the enemy launched against some very strong saints and let them begin to believe that the way God had trained them, the way God had led them, certainly, and I say adamantly, that the way that the Scriptures absolutely, adamantly says, this is the way I move, that we have to leave that because we're being narcissistic and displaying our, our, our pneumaticos hubris by not going out into the demonic realm and looking at the light and the darkness that the enemy would want us to see. The point is that God's eyes are very precise. And it's up to us to, be, to have the faith to step forward when the eyes of God are saying, okay, I've got you under the mulberry tree, the place of weeping, and I want to, to empower you, the pools of empowerment, the baraka. I want you to kneel before me and accept this commission to go forward. And in that, I'm going to lead you from victory to victory, from growth to growth. I'm going to establish you, and I'm going to show you things you've never seen before. But it's going to align with the, the things that I've shown you in the past. There'll be no contradiction. But will you believe me to partner with my eyes to go forward? So how does that have anything to do with Palm Sunday? Well, if you remember the verse we read, we find our Lord Jesus, who is looking out over the city for a significant portion of time, he is lamenting. He's weeping in mourning. Why? Because the people did not partner with God to discover what was theirs that was hid. And because they would not take that step of partnership with God, they then did not enjoy the victory that God had ordained for them to know. They never entered into the peace that God has ordained for them as their heritage. And this is why Jesus lifted his eyes and looked over that city and cried. 
He cried aloud, not for himself, but for the lost partnership that God had ordained for that nation, for that city to know. But the eyes and the weeping and the, 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 the discerning between um, that which is hidden to what God wants to reveal, and then because you partner with God in that knowing victory, that, as Jesus entered into this Passion Week, was what caused him to be moved. But also, his sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice, his triumph over death, hell, and the grave, his resurrection, the power of the cross, and the power of God to bring him back to life gives us the promise of partnering with God in the way that Jerusalem chose not to. Do you see that? That, to me, is the significance of Palm Sunday that, to this point, I'd, I'd never really seen. And, you know, we focus on the, the palms. We focus on the people crying, Hosanna. And even that, you know, Katie was talking about being uh, ministering in a church recently, and everything was about Hosanna, which, remember, means save us now. There's an immediacy that people want. To take a step of faith and go into something new, oh, not so much. To go beyond your comfort zone into the unknown, I don't know about that. Save us now. Hey, you know, come and touch us where we think we need help. Do it quick. That's what we're wanting. But when, the tough, when it gets tough, as was mentioned today in Sunday school, uh, where were all those people? They were probably part of the chorus who were mocking Christ. There's always that tendency to only focus on the Hosanna. Only focus on the pageantry. Everybody likes momentum. Everybody likes to be where all the cool kids are, waving the, waving the leaves. But to, to partner with the eyes of God, to step into the new at His directive, to even weep there as you wait upon God for His purpose to be done, that's something quite different. And that's what Jesus lamented as he entered into this week of passion. And there's a lesson for us today, not a chastising, but a commendation to all of you who were willing over the years, and I as your pastor can verify this, I'll, I'll notarize it for you if you want, um, that you were willing to step into the unknown, no matter what it cost you, to step forward into the things that were hidden and say, yeah, we're, we're willing to have strong meat brought before us on Sunday instead of the three-pointer that promises everything under the sun in 20 minutes. We're willing to do that. We're willing to study to show ourselves approved. We're willing to go before the throne of God on our face and say, Father, what are your ways asking for? How can we be sons? How can we partner with you according to your seven spirits, which are the eyes of God that separates the tobe from the raw and separates where we are from where we're going. There are uncertain times ahead, not for God, but for us. I don't particularly like looking at how the Scriptures, hear me now, stick with me now, I don't particularly like looking to how the Scriptures are going to be um, <laughs> Well, that's a good Pentecostal word to say. Fulfilled regarding the world in the next years. I don't like that as an American. 
I don't like what I see happening. You shouldn't either. I don't like seeing people debate whether second graders should be taught about sexuality and, and a strange type of sexuality. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that there's arguments that a governor of the state would say, no, 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 not for seven, eight-year-olds. Uh-uh, we're, we're not having that. They should say, not at all, but to limit it to that. I don't like that discussion, do you? I don't like it. I don't like the fact that the Word of God is mocked openly, that Christians are derided openly. It seems like we as Christians are responsible for everything bad. I don't like that, and I don't like the destruction that is prophesied for those who will do those types of things. You just read it in the Scripture. We're not going to be able to pray it away. So I don't like that uncertainty. You know, I've got children, and thanks to Fabian and the Lord, grandchildren, um, I don't like that prospect. I don't like what America is becoming. And I do believe that there is a visitation from God coming. But that visitation is not going to generate a kingdom now where we can just toss out the book of Revelation and say, okay, boy, we avoided that scripture. Woo! I mean, it's there. And I don't like the fact that it's there, even though it's God's holy word and we're going to partner with God in it. Who likes destruction? Who likes something that was born one nation under God, seeing it go to hell in a handbasket? Who likes that? Nobody does. Well, some probably do, but I don't. So there's some uncertain times ahead. I even wonder as I pray, Lord, we've got a message for, as the saints to go into the nations. There have been some nations I've gone into I thought, Lord, I'm here, I'm going to do my best, but I don't really like being here. This is uncertain ground for me. I don't like it. And, I, you know, there's some places I know God's going to lead us into that are uncertain. You know, Tammy was mentioning in Scripture today about uh, Samuel and how he, he said, we're going to make a demonstration of thunder, and, and it's going to be God's letting this happen, the thunder and the rain in, an, in a time when it normally doesn't happen, and it's going to be a sign from God. We've known that kind of thing, haven't we? We're going to know more of it. But I don't really, as much as I'm grateful for that, I don't really like the prospect of why God's going to have to do it. So there's some uncertainty ahead, but thank God His eyes specialize in that kind of thing. And we should not draw back in fear or in some point of complacency. We should not bring out that, that same thing. Well, you know, I'm how many ever years old you are. I guess it's time for me to just let the young ones take over now, which I heard regularly when I first came here. And uh, I heard that when I was growing up in the good old AFG church I went to all my life. I, we cannot afford to do that. As Brother Noah said, we need to be alive as long as we're alive. We need to keep pressing forward, whether it's uncertain or not. Whether we, whatever we've established is, thanks be to God, established through His Spirit. But there's more. His eyes are continually pressing forward. And there's always a separation in the eye. 
there's always a separation in the derivations of this. But thank God, that understanding is what Issachar is called to do. That understanding is what the 70, by their name, was called to do. And that understanding is what leads us in Job 28 to the path where no fowl has known, to the gold, the path to the gold that no one has ever seen, no eye has seen, but God's eye has seen it. So we need to come before the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, for all of the ways that your eyes have taught us through the Old Testament. But thank you, Jesus, that at the time when grace and truth was going to bypass and overcome the rigidity of the law, that you wept because the people of the Old Covenant would not do this very thing. That's what he said. That's what we read. But because of his victory, we all can partner with the eyes of God. We all can partner as sons. We all can move forward into the new, whether it's uncertain or not. And as I said, some of you are facing some things. I'm aware of them as your pastor tomorrow and throughout this week. Some of you have just gone through some very challenging times, but yet God was with you then, and he's going to be with you tomorrow, and he's going to be with you beyond that. Why? Because he loves you, but because you're a son, and his eyes are already there. We need to know this. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for so many things that the Lord has shown here. I think there is meat here for us. There is a greater confidence in my spirit about that structure of leadership that we're being sent around the world to train, and we're training them now, which really constitute a 70 of the saints' network, that the heart and soul of that is the eyes of God. That invigorates me. I don't know what it does for you, but it invigorates me. Anytime you can assign a grouping of people to the eyes of God, that is empowerment and it's identity and it's, it's a measure of confidence. And we just talked about Issachar. We just talked about Issachar. And, and as, as Les was speaking about the, the donkey um, being a lowly creature, uh, you know, the donkey represents servanthood. The horse represented victory and overcoming. But the donkey always represented servanthood. And um, the smiths should be happy about that with their mules. But, you know, the, the issue, though, is, is that that's what Issachar was described as, a strong one between two burdens. And we've talked about the extrapolation of what those burdens are, and every one of them is, is legitimate. But the greatest burden, the greatest separation Issachar bears is with the eyes of God. What has God said? What are his ways dictating? And what does he want to do? I'm going to be strong in persevering into the new. That's what Issachar, that's the meaning of that right there. That, no uncertain terms. There it is. The understanding of, of Issachar is the eyes of God. That is the etymological truth to the whole thing. And that's what you and you and you and all of us are called to be.
And uh, I'm very, very grateful, very, very grateful for this because there are paths that have not been seen before. Money can't buy it. Slick salesmanship cannot bring it to you. Um, discoveries of man in the depths of the sea cannot bring it. Even death and destruction look back and say, you know, we've heard of it, but we haven't seen it, which is why death and destruction reigns there. But God, in his own, how many times in Job there, how many times did I highlight the, the emboldening? I didn't even highlight the eyes. One, two, three, four, and then the eyes are there. This passage about discovering new things in God is all about the eyes, partnering with his ways. I think that's great. So whatever we've known, whatever we've done, we want to thank God for it. But there's more. His eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking for those whose hearts are willing to embrace a partnership with it. We, now, we say his eyes go to and fro seeking for those whose who's a pure heart or a perfect heart. But really what it is is are you going to be willing to partner with my eyes? I'm looking to and fro. And so I be, we begin this week, this Passion Week, Jesus entering into Jerusalem. He stops. He beholds the city. And he looks out over it, and he, for the only time we have record of in Scripture, he openly laments. He weeps loudly. Why? Because he said, you have not partnered to know the things that were hidden, the crypto that God ordained for you to partner with. And in another passage, you've killed the prophets that I sent to help to direct you to that. And because of that, you've not partnered with the peace of God. You're named the city of peace, but you did not know the peace. That temple over there that's been rebuilt, that I promised that my eyes would always be upon it, you made it a den of thieves, and you made it a place where idols were worshipped. This is what Jesus lamented. This is how, why he wept. But thank God um, he corrected that for us. Or he made it possible for us to partner with the throne of God in the eyes of God because of what he did through that week and how he triumphed uh, on Friday, how he triumphed on Saturday, and how he amazingly triumphed on that day of resurrection. So, Jesus wept, the valley of weeping, the eyes, uh, waiting on the timing of God. Yeah, I know you can win because you're a mighty army, but you wait over here. I'm going to do something that you've never known before. You just wait for the stirring at the top of this weeping tree. And then uh, you stir yourself when it starts, and you go. We have to stir ourselves to take that step of obedience. Because, again, you know, I, when I was a little kid, I liked my own little realm. I was alone most of the time. I was a scaredy cat, but I was dominant where I was. I didn't like to go and do new things. I was afraid. My mom had programmed me well. And, and so that measure of being in comfort 
was fine for me when I was training in the ministry because we were taught, how do you build a church? How do you secure the place? How do you make the people happy? How do you do these things? Well, I did a, I did a job of it every now and then. But, you know, to, when God's eyes started talking to us, it says, are you willing to press forth into the new that people may not like? And Jesus said they killed the prophets. So I guess there was a biblical standard that people don't like to break through into the new, which is why you're going to be willing to die as a prophet. So to go forth into the new, into an uncertain place, to me is not comfortable. Now, some of you are really full of bravado and you just like the daring life. That's not me. I'm just happy playing with Fabian's daughters holding Levi, watching him smile. I'm just happy doing that. Going to the mall, running around with the twins. I'm just happy doing that. The whole idea of going out and flying for 15 hours to some place and then ministering nonstop for several days, there's nothing in me personally that wants to do that. But we have a mission no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been in this, and we are being offered by the eyes of God to step forward to see the next phase of the development of what God's eyes have in store. And that's what Jesus wept about. And that's what Jesus gave us the victory so that all of us could partner with it. So I look forward to seeing what God's going to do through this, but I would say as we end this, uh, this time today, um, maybe we should go before the Lord and say this week, uh, Father, thank you for your eyes. Thank you for your ways. Thank you for allowing us to be sons. Thank you for what you've done to this point. We rejoice in that. But let us keep looking to what your eyes would lead us to next. Let us be willing to separate ourselves from the things that have been comfortable. Enjoy them. Don't toss them out. But be willing to step forth out of the midst of that into the new. That's what your eyes are always doing. And for eternity, you'll be doing that. <laughs> you know, we're going to a home in heaven that's much beautiful than any, much more beautiful than anything we know here. And through eternity, God is, God's eyes is going to be leading us in faith into new places. We're in training now for what God has in store. So maybe we should go before the Lord and thank Him, but present ourselves afresh as we enter this week of passion to the eyes of the Lord. Help us, Father, to follow You into the paths that no one has gone through. Help us to find those hidden, those crypto things that You've laid out for our partnership in peace with you. That's what Jesus did. And that has to do with the, um, the Baca, the Rephaim Valley. That has to do with the eyes of the Lord. That has to do with the 70. That has to do with Issachar. And that's who you are. So I speak blessing, health, and life over all of you. I pray that this week of partnering with God will be wonderful in your life. And I, I ask that God would stir, let, 
stir, stir those trees and let us be willing to be stirred to go forward. I need, I need a good stirring. Now, I know the Scripture says to stir up. You stir up the grace within you. Of course, we got to do that. But it's nice to hear the stirring above us. You stir, I'll stir. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, let us be stirred to obedience with your ways. That's the eyes of God. And that's what we need in the days ahead. Father, uh, I, I appreciate the privilege that we have of walking with you through this week of passion. And I ask you, Lord, that you will continue to lead us and teach us your ways. Thank you for your scripture today. Thank you for the living word that keeps breathing new things to us. It's so precious to us. It's, it's more than anything. Uh, we appreciate you, and we appreciate your spirit guiding us into this. Help us now to apply them. Help us now to utilize this understanding and to go forth in its power. And let us be agents of the fear of the Lord. Let us move in your wisdom, but let us see your understanding drive evil away. And I, I speak blessing and health, healing over every person. And we ask all of these things, thanking you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. In your wonderful name, amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. Thank you for being here. And uh, remember, this uh, Friday, communion will be here for you. Please come and spend some time with the Lord. And we'll look forward to 9 o'clock reaching out to anybody who wants to hear it live. God bless you.